All right, so thank you for uh, coming out this morning. It's a pleasure to, to be in front of you once again. Uh, I'm going to jump right in to the, to the text, but I'm going to pause in just a moment, and we're going to go to prayer. Um, but let me just remind you of where we did. We're, we're here gathered again this Sunday to study the book of Galatians. It's been a blessing to me thus far. I hope it has been to you. Um, uh, as we have been... Uh, in the process of dealing with it section by section. Last week, we were in section chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. And this is, the, this is the, the burden on Paul's mind, is that no other gospel grants justification to sinners before a holy God. We are still in that context. We're still in this context of of no other gospel. This gospel that we have, re- again, as you come here today, I do not know your, your condition before a loving, a loving God. Do you know his love? Have you experienced his peace that transcends understanding? Do you, have you come to, the, to saving faith in who Jesus is? Because that's his burden today. And, and so as I, as, I, as I leave this on the screen for just a minute, I want you to understand, I'm trying to grow in my preaching. I'm cha- I've changed some things over the, over the months, over the years that I've been with you uh, to seek to do better at the job that I have. And one of those things is to not give you the big idea so much, although I could put big idea on this slide and you would get that. But I have transitioned in the way I'm viewing what I'm trying to communicate to you, which I believe is what the text is trying to communicate to you, by using the word burden. What is the burden on Paul's heart this morning? As, when he wrote this, I should say. When, what, was, what was burdening him as he was writing to whatever group of people he was writing to in this context where he's writing to the Galatians? And he, he had this burden, and it was driving him to write this letter. And he says, no other gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the one true gospel that is preached in Scripture, it grants justification. It gives, it graces justification, as we talked about last week, to sinners. That's you and that's me. That was the Galatians. And Paul is going from city to city, country to country, sharing the gospel from wherever, wherever he can. And he's saying, listen, this gospel that I'm preaching, it grants justification to sinners before a holy God. And that's just amazing news. And that's the burden on his heart. Because we, we just discussed last week that the definition of justification, which is a great theological term, but, and, and Paul uses it in the text of Scripture, but he says, listen, justification is the favorable verdict of God, the righteous judge, that one who formerly stood condemned. All right, that, that was me prior to 1985. I I stood condemned to an eternity in hell, separated from God because of my sin. He said, justification is that favorable verdict of God, uh, that one who formerly stood condemned has now been granted a new status at the bar of divine justice. I'm leaving it up there just for you to, again, this is a reminder of last week, but I need you to, I desire for you to understand why we're talking about what we're talking about. We talked last week that our justification before God demands that we live consistent with the truth of the gospel. That's really what he was saying in verses 11 through 14 of chapter 2. And we also discussed that our justification before God is by faith in Christ alone. 
We cannot add anything to it. Not by practicing the works of the law, which is going to be picked up again today as we look at verses uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 3. So if, if you're here this morning and you don't know the peace, if you don't know for sure that standing before the judgment seat of God, that you would be declared righteous and that there would be no condemnation, judgment for you. If you don't know that peace, then, then you need to come to faith in the gospel. Because any Christian who's legitimate, not just by term, but by conviction, one of faith, we know that's the reason we want to call ourselves Christians is that we, are, we have been justified before God. We have been deemed righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. His righteousness has been given to us as our sins were placed on him on the cross. Folks, listen, that, it doesn't get any clearer than that in terms of the gospel. And because of that gospel that we come to faith and we're called to live consistently and we're called to live that consistent life by faith. So no other gospel grants justification to sinners before a holy God. And as we pick up on that theme, right, pick up on that burden, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the truth of the gospel. We could speak about it for forever. And I, actually, I think we will be speaking about it forever in eternity. We'll be remembering what has, done, uh, what has been done for us. But Father, as we gather here this morning, I pray that we would understand that this justification that we talk about is not some boring theological term. It is the reality that we have been declared righteous in your sight, that we have the ability to be in your presence as Jesus Christ is in your presence. It has nothing to do with being a good person. And Father, if there's a false gospel out there, that is definitely one of them. With all the false gospels that, that tell people that they can know for sure that they're going to be with you for eternity and somehow they're off on, on different areas. Lord, this is the most subtle, that if I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven. Father, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Help us to understand that there is nothing good in ourselves. It's all because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. So, Father, we praise you for sending your Son to be our Savior. And in his name, we continue to research and study this burden. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to look at, oh, I shouldn't say, we're going to begin our study of verses 1 through 18 in chapter 3. In, the, in this section, what Paul is going to do is he's going to argue the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Faith alone in Jesus, right? In Jesus alone. From the standpoint of both personal experience and biblical teaching. So our, where I'm most comfortable talking about this, and that's why I may seem a little bit uncomfortable at different points uh, during this particular sermon, but where I'm most comfortable in, in talking about the doctrine of justification is when God, when we go to Scripture and it says, Thus saith the Lord, from Genesis to Revelation, we can sit there and we can look at texts of Scripture that teach on this biblical teaching of justification. But we're not doing that today, except for just the Galatian text. 
Now, when Paul's writing to the Galatians, he's going to eventually talk about the biblical teaching that justify his statement and his burden that he's conveying to them. But he's going to start off in verses 1 through 5 talking about personal experience. The doctrine of justification by faith alone, Paul's going to argue that you can know this through personal experience. Now, if for any of you have a, a background in um, Pentecostalism, uh, in charismatic uh, churches, you may, you may hear some things today that remind you of some of those experiences. Uh, I'm not actually here to judge the validity or the lack of validity of any of that expression of worship. Right? I'm, I'm just not going to do that today. We're not going to get into that. But I will say this characteristic of much of Pentecostalism and charismatic practices is based on experience. And when experience comes against the Word of God, sometimes in some churches, maybe not your experience, maybe not your personal experience of this, but in some place, it is chronicled that experience trumps Scripture. And it can't be that way. There is an experience that we're allowed to have as believers of Jesus Christ that conforms and equates and and meshes well with biblical teaching. I am going to seek to relay Paul's burden that we can know about justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ through our personal experience. It will be different than what the Galatians experienced, but nonetheless, it should be genuine it should be realized in your life if you're a believer. And then next week we'll pick up on the biblical teaching aspect of it in the remaining section and even going further. And we will be celebrating the Lord's uh, Supper next week, so if you want to put that on your calendars. And I would say even prepare your hearts now for that celebration, for that observance of the Lord's Supper. All right? So let's get into this a little bit more. So in Galatians 3, 1 through 5, we're going to engage right off the bat. In these five verses, this is, this is all the text we're going to cover today, not, not written out. We'll, we'll go through the actual biblical text. But there's six questions. This was a, this was a way of writing uh, that Paul was using. It was the, the Galatians would have understood what Paul was doing by asking question after question after question. But how, what does he ask? He says, who has bewitched you to not obey the truth? Verse 1. He asked, did you receive the Spirit by works or by faith? He says, are you so foolish? I appreciate the way uh, Andrew read that particular, uh, the way he read it was different than the way I've been reading it. So it challenged me, right? Because we don't get to hear Paul's voice when he's writing. But are you so foolish? Andrew wrote, I've been saying it more to the point of, yeah, a little bit more. Are you so foolish? Right? So uh, he was a little bit more caring, and, and maybe that's the heartbeat of Paul. The next question, he says, are you being made complete by the flesh? We're going to talk about that word complete as we get into verse uh, 3. Have you suffered in vain is another question. And then the last question, is the Spirit provided by works or faith? So I'm going to say three of those questions are kind of based in the context of what the Galatians were experiencing. Paul is identifying with where they are, who they are, what they're experiencing. He says, who has bewitched you? He is recognizing in their context, someone's kind of come in and confused them. He goes on to say, are you so foolish? Whether caringly or uh, argumentatively, however he might have done it, he is saying, are you so foolish? And then kind of, it just kind of hangs in the air when they ask the question. 
He's, he's going to refine it as we go on. But, and then the third context type question is, have you suffered in vain? We're going to deal with that word suffer. But he, these are more kind of the context of which they find themselves on. But the, the other two questions, well, there's three questions, but um, uh, the, the two questions that he's really focused on, and this is what the Galatians would have got and we need to understand, is he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of flesh? Right? Did you receive the Spirit by works or faith? Excuse me. Works of the law. I keep saying works of the flesh. Did you receive the Spirit by works or by faith? And then he says, is the, in the last question, is the Spirit provided by works or faith? What we see here is really the, the transaction that takes place in the gospel. You have the receiving of grace and the giving of grace. You have the receiving of the Spirit and the giving of the Spirit. And question three, saying, did you, Galatians, legitimately receive the, the Spirit? And in, 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 the, in the last question, is the Spirit provided by God is the understanding there, by works or by faith. So we're going to see that's his purpose. That's his burden. He wants the Galatians to understand this. Justification by faith alone is evidenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We have the doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We know cognitively it's true. Scripture teaches us. He's going to get us. He's going to get us to that point. But he's saying, listen, justification by faith alone is evidenced by the presence, the lived out reality that I am different than the, I was before I came to Christ. If you have the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, I think I can say with great confidence and biblical clarity that you ought to know that you're indwelled by the Spirit. Because you know who you were as the old person, and you should know who you are as the new person, and they should be different and experientially so. I am not the same person I was prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and either are you if you've come to faith. And so the burden of any of Paul's encounters was, are there those who do not understand the difference between the presence of the Holy Spirit as a teaching and the presence of the Holy Spirit as reality. And so if you, if you have cognitively come to faith in Christ, in other words, you know who he is. He's God's son. He died on the cross to forgive people's sins. You've cognitively come to understand that, but you've never, uh, as, uh, as Romans uh, 10, 8 says, if you've never called him Lord, and believe that he's resurrected, if it's never made a difference in your life, then you need to get saved. You need to allow that truth of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit that is given by God to change your life. And so I hope that will be the burden on your heart as we go through this, right? Justification by faith alone is evidenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see he begins in a very loving way. Oh, foolish Galatians. I don't know how you can read that any different, right? Oh, foolish Galatians. I, I, I really... Would, um, you know, some people remember my very first time speaking to you on the Wednesday night when we, we showed up just as the service, a song portion had, had ended, and I walked in here and I preached a sermon on sin, right? I think it took some of you by surprise. It kind of took me by surprise. Imagine how if I had come in here that day, I'd say, oh, you foolish New Englanders. I, I can't just say Merrimack or, or, or uh, any of those towns, right? You, oh, you foolish New Hampshireites. And there's... There's the Massachusetts people. Yeah! 
right? Right. Oh, you foolish, right? Well, listen, in our context, this is not true for us as a group. There may be individuals that struggle with what we're talking about here. I think that's why I'm preaching about it. That's why Paul wrote about it. Oh, foolish Galatians, it's a term. It's smacking them in the face. It is waking them up to the reality that, some, that Paul has got an issue and he needs, it's a burden and he needs to uh, address them with it. He says, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Well, what truth are we talking about? Well, I think it's kind of fascinating because if we think about it, it's like Peter, Barnabas, and the others in verses 11 through 14 of chapter 2. Christians are called to live the truth of the gospel. If you, if you remember that, I'm just going to go back here. As we talk about this truth, go back to... Um, uh, chapter 2, in, in verse uh, 11, it says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. This is what we covered last week. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite uh, with him, so that even Barnabas, oh, my friend Barnabas, Paul says, was carried away with their hypocrisy. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, and he confronts Paul with his living one way in one situation and living another way in another situation. And we dealt, dealt with that last week. And you can certainly listen to that sermon if you'd like. But just like as, as we look at this text, Paul's saying, okay, so, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth like Peter wasn't obeying the truth and the other Jews weren't obeying the truth and even Barnabas was not obeying the truth? Who has bewitched you? This truth is the truth of the gospel. And they all knew it to be true. But influences came upon them and they live differently in one, con in one moment than another. But he does use this, uh, this um, uh, so we're called to live out the gospel. That's what, that's what that message was basically last week. But he says, who has bewitched you? This idea of who has come in and confused you. You know the truth, but someone has come in and, and they've bewitched you. They've influenced you in a way that is, is having dramatic impact in the churches of Galatia. Remember, we're not just talking about one church. There's a movement going on. And so this word bewitched is, is uh, it's really used historically, even in this context, the, the Galatians would have understood this. It's the idea of the, of the evil eye, right? Someone's casting an evil eye at you. Who has cast an evil eye at you that you should not obey the truth? Now, we usually snicker at the evil eye. I was telling the folks uh, I knew a person who painted a, an eyeball uh, on a... On a uh, a ping pong ball, put a little stretchy thing in it, put a big eyebrow on it and dangled it in front of people and said, oh, the evil eye is watching you, you know. And we can have fun with that, but there's nothing fun about this. Paul is saying, no, there is someone. And we know in one sense, I don't want to go to that extreme because I'm not necessarily saying Paul was meaning that here specifically, but elsewhere we do know. And we learned this in 1 John is that anything that is not of God is of Satan. There are influences out there, and, and yet they may draw on us away, and it may be very nice people drawing us away or wicked people drawing us away. Nonetheless, anything that's contrary to the gospel is, is, is uh, through demonic activity. 
So whether Paul, I think Paul would say that in a general sense. I don't know if that's the way he means it exactly here. But he's saying, listen, someone has come in and they have caused such an influence on you. They've had such an influence on you that you are not obeying the truth. And so like Peter, Barnabas, and others, Christians must beware those who would pervert the gospel. And, I, and I've said this before. We said, he said it in chapter 1. He's like, listen, if I or someone else or even an angel from heaven comes and preach a different gospel, anathema, may they be condemned to hell for eternity if they, if they or I preach a different gospel. Because there is only one gospel. And you must beware, he says, we must beware, I'm saying, that those who would pervert the gospel are out there. And so isn't it fascinating that in the uh, circumstances that God allows to take place, right? We don't believe in circumstances. We'll say in God's sovereignty, uh, last week after the sermon, uh, I had a great time fellowshipping, meeting some new couples, uh, went home, uh, got, got changed, got my tie off, and was getting ready to sit down. Actually, no, I, I just took my tie off. Uh, I, I, I was getting ready to sit down for a meal, and there is a at the front door because my doorbell is broken and I need to put it back. I need to put a new one on there, right? But they knock on the door and, and we're used to people getting knocks. Or we're used to getting knocks on the door. I'm sure you get knocks on the door and it's usually one of two groups. It's usually either they're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is the Mormon church, which is what we call it, reference to a lot. And there's Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, these were two Jehovah's Witnesses that came. You know, and it, it, it strikes me, when people come to our door, they have a burden that they are trying to share with us. And their burden uh, for this, these particular men, who are very nice, very respectful, very articulate, uh, and, and were willing to engage in discussions about Scripture, because I talked to them on the, on the forefront of, my, of the porch. You know, I stood there and t- you know, talked to them for about 15 minutes. Uh, they, were, they had a burden, and they were trying to share that burden with me. But I am aware that there are those who pervert the gospel, and I believe that their organization is one of those who's perverting the gospel. So I didn't just say, get off the porch. I know people who would do that. I didn't say, it's all lies. I asked them questions, trying to lead them into an understanding of the deficiency of their gospel because they have a deficient view of who Jesus Christ is. They believe Jesus is the first created being, not Adam. They believe Jesus is the first created being. And somehow, and I'm not an expert on Jehovah's Witness doctrine, but I'll say I do know that they, they actually somehow merge together Jesus Christ and the angel, the archangel Michael. Somehow they do that. And so we talked about these things, and I'm, I'm sharing the gospel. Uh, they're sharing their burden. I'm sharing my burden. We're having a, a peaceful time, and I invited them back if they had any questions about what I was sharing, I'd be glad to talk to them more about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I have to warn you as I share this illustration, Second John tells us not to invite them into our home and would also tell us to not wish them Godspeed because they are, when you hear that knock on the door, they are official representatives of a church that's preaching a false doctrine. So be, be aware. Be aware and beware. They are out to confuse you. They're out to be that, that influence, that spiritual infant in your life that's going to draw you not to damnation as a believer. They're doing that for unbelievers, but they're going to confuse you as believers. And I think that's what was going on in Paul's day. And so I want you to understand, share the gospel with these folks when they come to your door. 
I would not necessarily tell them what church you attend. I did not. I told them I was a pastor. I wanted to be up front. I have a, I have a, I should say, I have a dog in this fight, right? I mean, I'm, I'm looking out for your soul as you think you're looking out for mine, but I know the truth. It's all found in the Bible. There's no additional scriptures or anywhere else I go. And so as we're sharing this, I want you to understand they need Christ, but beware. They will, and they found their way appropriate to leave before I was ready to be done. I would have stayed with them all day if they were willing to engage in Scripture, but they weren't. So I didn't tell them I was a pastor of Merrimack Valley Baptist Church. I just told them I was a pastor so they knew I knew what I was talking about, or at least I had some knowledge. And, uh, and we'll see what happens. We need to pray for them. All right? You beware. I need to keep going. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, who has influenced you, that you should not obey the truth. And they were not obeying the truth, some of them. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. All right, so let's look at this. Christians are expected to live the truth of the gospel because they have responded in faith to its message. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, that second portion there, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. There's, this is the reality of that the, they are called to live by faith because the truth of the gospel, they responded to it. They are genuine Christians. Paul is, is communicating very clearly that Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed amongst them as crucified. And when we look at this, this, uh, the remainder here, uh, let me, I'm sorry, I'm jumping all around. I'll slow down so, and get you caught up. But we see here that before whose eyes? What Paul is saying is that before the very eyes of the Galatians, Paul knows this to be true because Paul is the one who portrayed Jesus crucified clearly in front of them. Paul's the one who gave them the preaching, the sermon, the messages, the words that made faith in Christ such a reality for them. The emphasis here is on preaching, and, and so I will, I will get there in a moment. But So uh, we see Jesus Christ was crucified for the sins of others. He was buried, and he rose again in fulfillment of the Scriptures. This is the gospel. This is what he means by, by that, that, that term, portrayed clearly. And when he uses this word crucified, it's that one, it's, I forget the technical term for it, but it's when one word stands for a whole lot of other words, right? And when we say, I, I struggle with some of the, the, the songs, you know, the Christ has done it, or the cross has done it all. And I'm like, well, no, the cross didn't do it, Christ did. But no, it's, it's appropriate because the, cro the cross stands for all that Christ did, who he is and what he's done. Uh, it, it leaves out the resurrection part, but it's still, we understand, that's where our sins were atoned for. So we can use the cross, and it talks about the whole gospel. Paul does that. Uh, we see here, when he's saying Jesus Christ clearly portrayed as crucified, he, he's using this word crucified. It's not like that he was just crucified and there was no resurrection, right? No ascension, no coming again. No, that's all in there. But he's, he's trying to say, listen, I'm so amazed that you which I was witness to, he says that you, I clearly portrayed through the preaching of, uh, through my preaching, through, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins. That's what he means by being, the word portrayed there is the idea of a placard. We don't use that word a whole lot in our day and age, but any building we go in, we're looking for placards. We're looking for signs directing us to do and go whatever. We had a yard sale recently, and I, hung, I put placards in the ground leading people so they would know where to go. Here he's just saying, listen, 
this, this, this Jesus Christ being clearly placarded among you as crucified, he's like, I'm the one who did that. I know this is true in your life. And he says, because I know you came to faith in this message, that not just crucified, but that he was crucified for our sins and for your sins, Galatians, and our sins here, he was buried testifying that he is fully dead and rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. That is the power of the gospel unto salvation. They came to know, to know that truth. So he says, before whose eyes? He's saying, I know this to be true in your life. And so Paul is reminding the Galatians of the message he preached. That's all he's doing here. And I'm taking a long time to explain it, but I'm telling you, this is what he's doing. He's reminding them. Sometimes we need those reminders. Do you remember the time that you came to faith in Christ? Was it through the preaching of a sermon? Was it through the preaching of a parent? Was it through a good friend preaching? In other words, anytime we come across the, the, the text of Scripture, it's a form of preaching. We're saying that we're encountering God's Word, and it's, it, it has the power to change us from the inside out. Paul's saying in his context with the Galatians, I preached, you believed. He says, I'm reminding you of the, of the message I preached. And he's saying, and to which they responded by faith. This is when we get into the chat, verse 2. And I'm sorry, we, we're taking a long time, but we kind of hit the rest of it pretty quick. He says, the, this only I want to learn from you. So-and-so and so-and-so, and certainly better than all those on death row. You know, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, unfortunately, people are measuring themselves against the wrong standard. The standard that we are called to live by is one of perfection to the law of God, of which Jesus Christ fulfilled. And because of our faith in him and what he has done, we are able to say we are born again. We are uh, righteous in God's eyes. But as we talk about works, they're talking about the works of the law. This would be the Mosaic law. So remember, the troublemakers coming in. These are genuine believers in, in Galatia and the churches of Galatia. And these people are coming in saying, Yo, well, we agree with coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But if you really want, but if, you know, if you're expecting to walk through the gates of heaven, you really need to be practicing the law, the law of, of Moses. And uh, we're going to see how uh, that plays out uh, as we deal with the life of Abraham next week. But I did remember that, and, and, and I'm, I may go a little long because I'm, I'm, I want to add some of these things. We live in this context, in our context, in a predominantly Roman Catholic influenced area. Do we not? I'm a former Roman Catholic. Many of you are, are former Roman Catholics. Some of you may be practicing Catholics and you're here today or watching us online. And I, I will always say this. I, I, I have been, I have been uh, uh, some people think I, I slam Catholicism because I come out of it and I'm disgruntled. No, actually, it was the way God brought me to genuine faith in Christ. I learned a lot as a Roman Catholic. But one of the things I learned that was not sufficient and was not the gospel, is I was led to believe by whether it was church doctrine or whether it was just my teachers, I had the understanding that Jesus Christ died for original sin, which opened the gates of heaven. But I had to live according to the sacraments and all the things that the church says. I had to go to confession. I had to do all these things in order to walk through that gate. And I don't know if you've had that teaching, and that's what, but that's the way I understood it. So take that for what it's worth. In a sense, that's what Paul's confronting. These Judaizers are saying, oh, we believe in, in, in faith in Jesus, plus you need to live a certain way to, to, to enter heaven. 
Paul's saying that's a false gospel, and it was false then, and it's false now. I'm thankful for my upbringing. It, it, it gave me a lot of knowledge about the Bible. It really helped up here. But it was deficient because no one told me I needed to repent for my sins and receive forgiveness, receive the Spirit into my life by coming to faith and only faith in Jesus Christ that he has done everything. So he dealt with it then, we deal with it today. The Holy Spirit is received by every person. So he is, um, uh, let me just go. So he's received by every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, right? But he's also the one who matures every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Hence, that's our mission, to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. We base it upon the Great Commission text, and we'll say that our mission as a church is to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. Go, make disciples, teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. And by the way, do all that under my authority, Jesus Christ, because all authority has been given to me. Paul's just saying the same thing in a much condensed form. He's saying the Holy Spirit matures every person who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. That's, our, that's what we're trying to do even at this very moment. And so he continues on in verses three through five. He says, are you so foolish? And maybe it's more compassion this time. He's like, you foolish Galatians. Chapter three, verse one. Are you so foolish? I like that. Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law? or by the hearing of faith. What Paul is pointing out as we talk about the, this reality that we have the Spirit when we come to faith in Jesus and we are also matured by that. He's saying, listen, having begun in the Spirit, this is a past event with continuing uh, consequences. Like, this has really happened. It's all in the context. He's talking to believers. Ha you Galatians, having actually begun your faith by the reception of the Spirit, that's the evidence that you are a believer, right? You have this, this, it's not just cognitive, you actually have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Is your spiritual life, is your Christian life going to be perfected? This is the tension. Also through the Spirit or through the works of the law? He's saying it's very clear. It's only through the Spirit. It's only through faith. That, the idea of perfect, the word there, is a, it's actually a fairly long word, if I remember it correctly in the Greek. But the root of it is the idea of telos, which is the idea of a purpose or an end. It's like having begun in the Spirit, having begun your faith in the Spirit, are you now being made to the point of reaching your Christian potential, your Christian perfection, being completed in Christ by the flesh? He's saying that's foolish talk. Don't do that. We would say the same thing to our children. We would say, as we're raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we're going to point out when they're foolish. I had a good friend of mine that told me one time, it's okay for a child to act childlike, but we need to teach them to not act childish. And I like that distinction. We're supposed to have childlike faith, but we're supposed to mature past childishness. Paul is saying, listen, you, you began in the Spirit, your new life, you're born again, you're a baby in Christ, but now are you going to be brought to maturity by the acts of the flesh, by obeying the law? 
He says, uh, the whole, and in this text what we see is that the Holy Spirit is received only by faith in Jesus Christ, but the beginning of our faith and the perfecting or the completing of our faith is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. He says, have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? He's saying, listen, I, 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 I like the idea of the compassionate Paul here. It's foolishness. Don't believe this. Have you suffered? That word suffer can actually mean suffer. Predominant times it's used throughout the New Testament, the word means suffer. Suffering for their faith, suffering persecution, suffering because of their faith in Christ. But in this particular text, and other translations will translate it differently, uh, it says, have you experienced? It's the idea of a negative experience, which we would say suffering, right? Have you uh, a negative experience, so many things in vain? But in the context, listen to this. Doesn't it sound like Paul is saying they have so much? that they've experienced in Christ already? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Right? All that stuff that happened in your life, which we'll talk about in a minute. He says, have you, have you experienced so much of that and it be empty? It's vain. It's meaningless. It doesn't really fit. Suffer is, it's true that that may have been their context. But it's also true, Paul might be trying to highlight the positive experiences and some people will, will translate this in, in a neutral, that either or. And I'm saying you can wrestle with that. Uh, the word is predominantly used for suffer. But I think in the context of Paul, it has a better sense here. He's saying, listen, you've experienced so much in, in the spirit and you're going to try and now live by the flesh? No. Did you experience all these wonderful things in, in the spirit in vanity? He says, if indeed it was vain. And the idea there by adding that statement is just Paul saying, it's not too late. You haven't, you haven't lost your salvation, right? You can turn around. You can actually, listen, all that stuff that you've experienced in the Spirit, it's, it's still real for you. And he's actually call, calling them to remember what they had at the beginning when they came to faith. Because that was true. And then he says in verse 5, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Paul's emphasis here is the idea that this, 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 this spirit that we receive is provided by God. He, the God has provided, has supplied the spirit to you. And he works miracles among you. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I would love to see an actual miracle where all of us would agree. I would like to do it so we could all benefit from seeing the miracle right here in front of us. I would love to see it. So we could all say, yep, we remember that miracle. They could do that. Miracles took place in that first century like, like it's not happening today. That's because that's the way God chose to work. They had an objective reality. They saw, you know, think of Peter raising, uh, raising that person from the dead, right? People saw that. Uh, the healing of the blind people, you know, when Peter and John are walking, I think it was Peter and John uh, walking into the, the temple and they healed the guy. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Oh, not healing the blind, that one was healing the lame. Stand, walk, and he did. They saw that stuff. We don't see that stuff today. And that's because it's not normative for the Christian life to necessarily experience these things, but it's definitely historical and accurate. And they would have had this objective truth that they could actually help them understand the subjectivity of their individual faith in Christ. And that's what we have. We have this subjective transformation that's taken place in the sense of we know what Scripture teaches, and Paul's going to deal with that next week. But we also know experientially 
that something's changed in our life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, right? There is this turning from death to life. There's this, this, this reality that we talk about over and over and over again. The old man and the new man. And I ask you, do you see the difference in your life? Because that's the burden that Paul's has. He's saying, listen, I've seen it in your life, Galatians. You need to go back to that because that's the truth and that's what you're supposed to live out. Not this stuff that's a false gospel. Don't give them any the time of day. He says, God has supplied you the spirit that you have received. And he did it through the working of miracles. It was manifest so that they, they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt this was a real thing. And God did it not by works of the law, but by the hearing of faith. Paul, when he preached his message, remember the first two chapters, he's defending who he is as an apostle, that he has authority. And secondly, that his message of the gospel is the same message as the other apostles. And he says very clearly, this is my message. You receive the spirit that God gave you when you came to faith, and that's good enough. You don't have to add any works on top of it. So no other gospel grants justification to sinners before a holy God. None. You probably have some of your own stories about how that took, how, how you came to faith in Christ. And maybe there were some either prior to coming to faith that you, that, that you believed a lie. Or maybe after you came to faith, you had some confusion about what, what's truth. And then as you looked at Scripture and you read Scripture, you understand this is true. No other gospel can give you the justification you need, the right standing, declaring you right, right before, righteous before God. Uh, you, no other gospel can do that for you. Justification by faith alone is evidenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what does that look like in our life? What is this? And we're, we're closing here. What is this look like? And I ask you to remember when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I've been saved for many years at this point. And I, can, I have to force myself to think about what my life was before that because I've known Christ for so long. And I try not to, to revel in the sins of the past, right? That's not something we're supposed to do. But every once in a while, I just purposely think about the old Greg so I can take confidence that the new Greg, the one that is in Christ, the one that has been indwelled by the Spirit, that it's real and it's genuine and it is a proof of one's salvation. If you look at your life from beginning to this point and you see no change, you might say, well, I went from a pretty you know, rough person to a good person. Not good enough. You have to go from a child of Satan to a child of God. And that only comes from faith in Jesus Christ as the only son and the only Messiah, the only one who can hang on that cross and pay for your sins and my sins and the sins of all time. Only the God-man can do that, fully God and fully human. And I pray that you come to faith in him today if you haven't already. But for those of us that have come to faith, folks, listen, we can look at our life, we can see the difference, and we can praise God. And if I can say this, and let's tell other people about the change that's happened in our life. Let's rejoice. Let's praise God for the change that he's done in us. And let's seek to see that change in others.
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the burden of Paul to make sure that the Galatians understood that the faith that they had professed was good enough. Nothing had to be added to it. They didn't have to go through life continuing to feel guilty about the things they weren't doing because they realized that it was all done by Christ. So guilt is not something that a believer is supposed to carry around with them when it, from day to day. They're supposed to claim victory in Christ and live as ambassadors of the gospel. We are supposed to be those who understand how this gospel has changed our life, and we are called to live it out with integrity. We're supposed to live it out ethically. We're supposed to live it out to your glory. We're supposed to live it out maybe to our discomfort, but we certainly are to live it out with joy. The joy of knowing that we have the Spirit indwelling us, the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who indwelled the tabernacle, the same Spirit who indwelled the temple, the same Spirit that has changed us and all those within the church from old to new, from sinners to saints. Lord, I pray that we would either come to faith or we would rejoice in our faith this morning because of what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.